Front, kitchen secured. Trap free, thank God, secured. Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Pete. And I'm Benny. Uh, Conrad. <laughs> Benny! <laughs> Are you out there, Benny? Oh, Benny Where's is always... But, well, hats are, a good hat is worth dying for. I've, I've always had that opinion, and, and I think it's good to see that in, in truth, in action. Uh, so, Conrad, happy birthday, and uh, thanks very much for okay. joining us on, on your birthday. Thank you. Thanks for the coupons to Tranquility Spa. You shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> it's got excellent reviews. Oh, excellent. I've got up my speed up. No, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect place to celebrate being 29 yet again. Uh, oh, thank you. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll be staying away from the, the vending machines and, uh, well, basically everything else. Uh, everything, everything is basically lethal. It's the, the best holiday resort ever. I, it's, sorry, I'm jumping ahead already, but I'm wondering if a line of that equivalent is going to become Graham's catchphrase, like uh, like Perry used to have all these tunnels look the same to me. Because in in in, in um, Spyfall we had uh, worst Uber ever, and in this we had worst holiday ever, or, or something along those lines. So I'm now looking out for that every week from now on. That's great. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. That's something to look out for, isn't it? Um, and it's part of the, the long tradition of the doctor trying to take his companions on holiday or her companions on holiday, um, and it always ends in total disaster, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it, it's as much of a of, of a part a stalwart feature of the of the format as the uh, as the base under siege or the the mad scientist or the evil since the dawn of time, really, isn't it? It's uh, it, it's one of our um, one of the big power chords of the Doctor Who format. <laughs> Yeah, and it's pretty much a base under siege, base under siege, I guess, isn't it? Here, uh, at least to begin with. Yeah, yeah, and and then and just base under siege on 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 speed and acid and whatever else was in the cupboard at the same time. <laughs> Did it remind you of any particularly bad holidays? Well, I had, a, I, had a, I had a few. I used to go to Breen in Somerset every every year when we were a kid and when we were growing up. And um, uh, the sea was a very long way away. You had, you did have to, you could have done with a little explorer cart to try and find it. And uh, some of the other holidaymakers were possibly a little bit on the now. What are they called? They're not the Kaiser Chiefs. I want to call them <laughs> the Kasabians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it, it it's. Uh, how did we feel about Spyfall? Because I mean, I've heard, I've obviously I've listened to the podcast, but I haven't spoken yeah. to Conrad yet about about, um, about how, how you felt about Spyfall itself as a, as a launch pad into into this. Because because I don't know whether to think of this as episode two of the series or the first episode of the series after the specials. How does it feel to you guys? It's, yeah, that's a good point. It's a mixture of both. I think because Spyfall was that lovely two part of it. Um, it did. It was one story, but actually, the two the episodes were so different. They did that thing of setting up the first episode and then going completely somewhere else to the second. That I mm. think this does feel like. Do you know what? It feels like both. I'm going to cheat. It feels <laughs> like of like we've had our big story. On we go. In fact, actually, that's how I think I feel. I think it feels like a second story. I think I'm going to go with. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that as well. It, 
it feels a bit like the sort of uh, Impossible Astronaut, Day of the Moon uh, series opener from Series 6, was it? Yeah. Um, it was a big, well, big, epic, globe-trotting kind of, uh, kind of opening two-parter that sets up a lot of the stuff for the rest of the series. Uh, and then you're yeah. back into the, the normal weekly adventures. Yeah, because it could easily be, and it is completely standalone. Or, well, it feels completely standalone, mm-hmm. but um, but there were some nice little touches there that I think are, that I don't know. I I think there's some there's some low key arc stuff going on at the, uh, that, um, that that might come to fruition later. But I was thinking exactly the same thing at this time last series, and, and a lot of it didn't happen. But but things like um, I, I'm noticing Yaz doesn't ever look particular. I'm getting a feeling that she knows she's the fourth. Um, wheel on the on the Robin Reliant, and, and, and in a way that fans have been saying she was left out too much last year, and it's almost as if they've noticed that and made that a little bit of a character trait because she's a bit jealous when Ryan's being flirty with the girl in the van, uh, but it could just be a big sister jealousy, like well you're not, but also it could be a it could be romantic, but they don't have to go that way. But um, and then the, there was a bit where she turns up and announces something to, to everyone that she's been away and found out. Uh, and, and it turns out that they and we, the viewers, all already knew it anyway. And, and so for a minute, she's just like, oh, because she'd worked to, to go and figure some stuff out. And then it was too late. Everyone already knew it. And, I, love, I really love that. And I thought that's fantastic. She comes running in and she doesn't just state what's happening. And everyone goes, yeah, we know. She literally stops us and is going, hey, surrounded by a wall. And it suggests that she's off. I think it's it's a credit to the writing. It's like she's clearly off in her own world, and and she pretty would have solved. She would have kind of got to the same point. She's just a little bit behind. But um, I thought that was a gorgeous moment. Really, really, really subtle. I, I have to say, I've got. Um, I think for the first time in a long time, I actually had a theory, like a fan conspiracy style theory, um, from from Spyfall when uh, Yaz got taken to the upside down or whatever it was wherever she was um, and yeah. when she came back into that booth suddenly i thought is that her is that really her and so ever since i'm like is it her now whether it is or isn't doesn't matter but what i really like is that and i don't normally play those games of oh i'm gonna try and guess and see if i can see what a, a twist might be mm. but because i mean you were talking about impossible planet i mean it was um, for me, it was completely futile to try and guess what was going to happen in those days because, um, the, the, you know, it was so convoluted that, that there was no way of guessing. And even if you did guess, um, going back to the Impossible Planet, that when they said, oh, the Doctor's dead, and she's like, no, no, it's got to be a, a duplicate or a robot. And they're like, no, yeah. the Doctor's dead. And then actually, it is a duplicate or a robot. So <laughs> just, how on, so there's no way of, even if you guess, you might get lied to. So, um I love the fact that for the first time I can start having crazy fan theories and there might be, you know, that would be fun. And also the master's taking a bit of a shine to Yaz and you know, this right. stick with me. Stick That's with me. In my you think, you're, you're not allowed to say that. I was going to say that. And you <laughs> said it. <laughs> that was going to be a really interesting thing to say once we got about 10 minutes in and you've totally spoiled me. I'm, I'm not okay, coming on. He's on. Mark, I'm not coming on again if he's on. <laughs> I'm passing you the baton, Pete. Oh <laughs> uh, no! You've called my bluff now. No, but, but it, in fact, it was it was just that. It's exactly what you're saying. Um, the, the the one time we've seen Yaz look really happy this season is when she was playing um, poker or whatever with with the with the master in, in, in the casino, and and then immediately after that, well, of course she didn't know that. And then immediately after that, she goes off to that other world and she has that little moment with Ryan. Uh, it, well, 
saying I really thought I was going to die, mm. and 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 it kind of felt a little bit clunky in in Spyfall, but that was an issue I had with a lot of Spyfall. I thought it, I thought it was very good, but I didn't think it was excellent because I thought the dialogue was clunky and things were just sort of a bit overly spelled out. But um, but that bit was really. Um, seemed really important to her that that uh, that she's like something about her changed when she had that experience, and I really hope that we're going to get more on that. And, and if that little moment in Orphan Fifty Five of her looking a little bit crestfallen because she worked really hard and it turned out nobody cared, if that's a little just a little drip drop of that per week that's going to build up to something later, then that that would be really good. Yeah, definitely. Maybe it should be like the new Adric, where you know. Um season 19 he keeps sort of uh flirting with the idea of teaming up with the bad guys doesn't he uh with monarch and um yes uh, yeah. actually Mark, yeah, I, remember, and, I remember seeing the sorry i remember seeing the costume designers saying that they always tried to put a star on yaz's costume just to sort of hint that she likes you know she's into the whole space travel thing so i think we've got <laughs> we've just cooked up the best theory ever she is actually adric <laughs> <laughs> It, it's about time that we stopped being so narrow-minded about who can play Adric. Uh, it doesn't just have to be Matthew Waterhouse. There are other actors with, with that with that um, skill. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Because every year people think uh, the Rani might come back or Susan might come back or Omega. They never yeah. they never go Adric. It's 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 the one you never never suspect, isn't it? It's- in fact, if, if Sasha Jawan at the end of episode one of Spyfall had turned around and said, I'm Adric, and why the fuck didn't you come back to pick me up in your TARDIS? It's when you can just nip back to put instructions everywhere for, for this lot, um, but you can't be bothered to come and rescue me. Uh, you picked up Beryl Reed, but you didn't come back for me, which is understandable, but you didn't come back for me. Um, that would have been more of a revelation to me than him just being yet another version of the Master being revealed. In fact, it was the it was the... The, the last cliffhanger we had was somebody going, actually, I'm the master, uh, three years ago, and it was John Sim uh, decloaking. So it's a bit, um, I thought it was quite, it's a bit of, it's nice, it sort of rhymes that it was the next cliffhanger years later is exactly the same cliffhanger. But um, yeah, but sorry, I'm not here to bash Spyfall. I, th- I think it's pretty good. But but I think I think Orphan 55 is better, basically. And, and I was really amazed when I went online after it finished uh, to share my enthusiasm with everyone that um, that like it was t- it was a real it turned out to be a real Marmite episode because I didn't think it was controversial at all. I thought it was like Doctor Who just with everything turned up to 12. And maybe that's what some people didn't like. Maybe, in fact, yeah, talking to people that, that is what some people didn't like that it was just it was just an overload. Which I, I can see what they mean, but I'm but I'm I'm, I'm full on for that. Uh, it was uh, it just kept leaping from one Doctor Who classic thing to another, which is not at all what I expected from the guy who wrote the Frog on a Chair episode, which was very much my favourite episode that year. But I wanted, and so I was thinking this is going to be another some kind of really left field thing that's going to happen here, and instead it, it, it just kept playing it sort of straight down the line with all of your Doctor Who. Um, classic tropes we're just just heaping them on so fast and so deep but it, it, it is quite hard to digest as, as, as it's coming in but um, it held my attention yeah how, how, Mark how was it for you watching it just like as, as, a, as a did you watch it as broadcast or did you have puppy duties and have to do it later I, no I watched it as broadcast I, I really enjoyed it as well because like, um, I think you're right you kept kind of um, going up a gear, didn't it? You thought it was going to be a base under siege, but then it was, well, we're going to go out into the wilderness, we're going to kind of chase the, the monsters, see where they come from. 
then it was Marb Station again from the Mysterious Planet. Like you said, there's a lot of lot of uh, really <laughs> classic Doctor Who stuff in there. Um, and and did, was that Robin? Because because I was one of my best mates was was WhatsApping me, and he's a big, a very big fan too. And and all the things that I was loving, he was finding really annoying, and he was like, "Oh, I can't believe they just put that in. That's another ripoff." <laughs> Whereas I was. I was sort of laughing and thinking, this is awesome. What, what the hell is going to happen next? Um, because just things from old episodes kept being just sort of glancingly referenced, but it's not, but it wasn't continuity. It wasn't, mm-hmm. um, you know, it wasn't re- references to old episodes that you needed to know about or anything like that. It was just, um, yeah, plot points or, 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 or little things that from, uh, from the fabric of Doctor Who being, being, uh, being flashed at you and then yeah. charging on to the next one. And I think as, as lifelong viewers, we, we look at the whole thing, don't we? And we go, well, that's happened before, that's happened before. But they're not writing it, you know, for, for us. It's like this generation of kids gets their uh, apocalyptic Earth story, uh, you know, that we've had in the past with the mysterious planet or, or kind of arc in space or, you know, the end, the end of the world in the Eccleston era. Um, it's like each generation gets one of those moments of, or your whole world's gone and and it's all been destroyed again. So it's 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 nice like that. And and you know the the future being unwritten thing. Any one of these things could happen. It could be the solar flares, or it could be uh, Ravelox or, or whatever is is what eventually uh, does us in. Yeah, it could, and uh, or it could just. Be, I mean, a billion years is such a phenomenally long time. It's mm. it's perfectly possible for us to. Um, if, uh, like in um, Utopia, there's a line about humans having evolved into bubbles of gas and then having decided to go back to being bipeds again because it felt yeah. because it felt nice, and and that was a really clever concept because you know what, that that picture that they do where they where they show you the entirety of the life of the Earth so far, which is only less than one percent of the entire life it's going to have, and that within that the existence of humanity is a tiny, tiny fragment of one percent. So we could quite easily become hemovores and then get better, yeah. and then <laughs> go off on the arc in space and, and then get better again, and then become they basically going through yeah. And then we become the Fratellis or whatever they are, and and, and come back and, and be human again. Uh, yeah, they could it could be a cycle. I also have to say I also like I saw in um, the way um, Ed Hein described the story. He said he wanted it to be like this, to bring all the fun of a classic disaster movie adventure. And I think that's I mean I, I just thought action adventure, but disaster movie adventure, sure. And and as well as all the Doctor Who references. I, you know, I, I think you don't have to have a huge stretch to see some aliens in there going through a dreg nest and all that stuff. Um, yes. I got quite a lot of Pitch Black, that film from, I think, uh, is it 90s or early 2000s, um, where they have to sort of go across this very bleached out sci-fi environment and they're getting picked, mm. picked off one by one. Um, and then there's a bit of Jurassic Park in there when they were in the Tranquility Spa bar. I thought, oh, this reminds me of that whole theme park gone wrong thing. So there's, like you said, there was loads of Doctor Who in the mix. There was loads of really, really good references and nods and influences. And like you said, Mark, this is for a lot of people, this is their very, very first, a lot of people, this is their first holiday gone wrong story or theme park gone wrong story. And Doctor Who, mm. you know, they would say it's a program, who was it said, uh, it's a program about uh, a character who travels through genres. And I think that's, that's what it's for. So it's, it's, I thought we did it beautifully here. And the straightforwardness of it that, Pete, you mentioned, I think is, is fantastic. I, I had a great tea, Saturday, Sunday night tea time. Um, sat down, it started off some good laughs. It was a really straightforward story. They, they, even just geographically, you know, they go from the TARDIS, land on the spa, have a little bus trip out, get yeah. stranded, 
Get back to the top, the spa, the TARDIS, boom. I mean, it's there. And, and, and the little, the little, the, the Brummy furry lady, we've got to talk about her. Because, again, I, right, to me, as soon as we saw her, I just thought, oh, right, she's a furry. She's someone in the future who has had augmentation. She's obviously just drawn a cat mouth on herself. And the doctor's complimenting her on her tail. I don't think this is meant to be representing a, a, a biological cat kind evolution type thing, because they could quite easily do that if they wanted to. Um, and, uh, and, I, and she immediately became my empathy point in the story, uh, partly because, well, I live in Birmingham and she's from Birmingham, uh, with space Birmingham, presumably, judging by her accent. And um, when she um, uh, she gets that classic line, when they're, when they're in the car and, and they're all being besieged by things, and she just says, maybe we shouldn't have left the dome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, just a little moment of silence while she says that. And you just know that, that you, right, your time's up, mate. <laughs> really, I, I, I haven't got to know you well. And I suspect I'm not going to get to know much more about you because uh, you're very soon going to be going to be monster food. And and like you were saying, Conrad, uh, you've got Jurassic Park and aliens in there. She's Spaceballs, isn't she? She's the, uh, the John Candy, uh, half man, half dog, his own best friend. I can't remember the name of the character. Yeah. I, I've, got, I've got to say, because I... I, I there are, I've got so few negatives about this story. I genuinely thought that there were, there were a couple of things that I had a problem with, and I did have a problem with the hair and the makeup. And I think <laughs> last, and I, honestly, I was I was not a happy bunny and a happy furry on uh, on Sunday night. That was the only thing I didn't like. Because when I saw it, like you, Pete, I was like, "Oh right, it's a holiday planet." You know, she's still dressed up and it's all a bit fun. There's a party going on. Who knows what she's dressed as? And hmm. there's a time on. I was like, "Are you?" Supposed you're not actually supposed to be a, an animal, are you? And you know, the, the, at one point the doctor said, oh, do that again, I'll bark at you. And I was like, is, is she supposed supposed to actually be a cat? Because if I took my kid to a village fate and they face-painted that on, I would want a refund. That is, to me... It's retro. It, it's retro, it's classic. That's the thing, you see. <laughs> nice digging, Pete, but I, I haven't, all I'm going to say is I will not name her, but I have noted the name of that makeup and hair artist in this episode, and I'll be keeping a very close eye. <laughs> I wasn't happy about that, because basically I, I, I did think, if it was supposed to be a fun, like, you know, like a fun face paint thing, it's absolutely fine. But if the intention was for that to make that actually look like another species, <laughs> I, I see me in my office, I'm, I'm not impressed. <laughs> There we go. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I would agree. But yeah, I, I would agree. And and it was just my, and, and my mind was making making the jump to, to make the link to a being being a furry and, and maybe that wasn't the the intention. But um once my once that had sparked in my mind, it all just seemed quite quite cozy. And the, the doctor complimenting her on a tail as if it, it was the tail that she'd just chosen or bought. Uh, Sort of, sort of clicked, um, but it, well, yeah, it wasn't spelled out. It, you could sort of take it as, as you pleased. Did we, by the way, did did we get the dirtiest joke that's actually been broadcast in Doctor Who at the start of this, with the comment about, uh, sorry, it was the uh, the mating season. <laughs> Right, yeah. back, so, sorry, I'm, I'm rewinding us right back to the very first thing. Uh, but um, I when, thought, when, uh, what was that appendix supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, which which part yeah, of the like more what Merc- did you think it was supposed to be? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Well, the I do. I do. You started. I've already I'm saying on a respectable the mate. I'm not saying on a respectable podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do we just call it gender fluid? Just general you? gender fluid. Certainly fluids. Yes. <laughs> 
There you go, Mark. Enjoy those podcasts. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I thought the humour in this one was was excellent. The there's some absolutely fantastic lines in it. I think my favourite might be once they were in the the bus, um, and Kane says he's moving at thirty seven clicks an hour, and the, the old lady goes, "That doesn't sound my like my Benny." <laughs> <laughs> that that is just brilliant. That was a cracking line. And because like, she's kept, and it's and it's made funny by the fact that she's been going, "Where's Benny? Where's Benny? We must mm. find Benny. Benny's all right." And people have been joking about how often she says Benny, and there's a click counter. Someone's done a gif where you you count every single time she says it. But it's all build up. It, it, it all makes that line funnier because she's like, mm. "He's fine. He'll be fine." Oh, that doesn't sound like my Benny. <laughs> um, and I think I get the feeling. Do you ever? So I tape quite a lot of stuff off Talking Pictures TV, the home of classic uh, TV and 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 movies on uh, on Freeview. Uh, and uh, you can skip the adverts if you do that. But they show lots of 1930s and 40s things, um, and, and and newer stuff too. Some stuff right up to the 1970s, quite modern. But um, they. It, all of their stuff is punctuated by these endless adverts for cruises of the Norwegian fjords uh, aimed at people of about that age, like like uh, Vilma and Benny, uh, who have probably been retired for 20 years and got more money than they can actually spend and, and are bored out of their minds and want nice things to do. And when they're introduced... They are very much that couple. They are very much those people from that advert. A lot like uh, the Resis in Paradise Towers. Mm. Um, there are they are absolutely there to be an archetype, you know. Uh, and uh, and there's that nice moment of him wanting to propose to her, and then but then our friend Yaz turns up and ruins it all, which Brilliant. it's really good because 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 we're. Often the, the fam are all getting on so well, and we, they all love each other so much, which is a very nice change from how it was back when we had endless episodes about whether or not Clara wanted to stay or not. Uh, it's really nice that they all got on well, but then that led last year maybe to a bit too much softness of them, and them always being lovely and always getting on really well. And to see Yaz blundering in and ruining that couple's romantic moment, without with her being completely oblivious to it, it was a really nice little little dramatic point. Uh, that, um, that you just felt really sorry for them, but but obviously it wasn't remotely her um, her fault. Uh, but but yeah, and, and and Yaz saying as soon as they arrived, I'm going to check out the pool was a lovely little nod to uh, to Paradise Towers for those of us who who were there and, and uh, <laughs> have lived to tell the tale. Uh, but but also it was just a perfectly ordinary thing for us to say if you weren't. And that's the kind of continuity touches that I I, I like best. Yeah, were you saying that? Um, we're talking about kind of the worst holidays earlier. I went on a cruise uh, last year for my 40th, and it was by far the worst holiday I've ever had. Um, it wasn't. Before you survived, so. it, Yeah, just about. Um, but yeah, it was entirely made up of incredibly decrepit people like um, like um, these, these two characters, uh, Benny and Wilma. Um, and uh, it reminded me, because there's a point when the, the Tano comes over and it says about get to your muster station which uh, was what we had to do on like the second or third night. And we all had to grab our life jackets out the cabins and go, go to the muster point. And then the captain addressed everybody and said, you know, like um, uh, if uh, what, what would happen if we had to abandon ship and one old dear just fainted away right next to us. <laughs> you think, what did you think he was going to talk about? Um, but yeah, the, the only good thing was it was for my 40th and it made me feel young again. That was like the sole point about it. You, you were probably lowering the uh, the average age of the of the entire compliment by a considerable amount. Just 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 you and, and your party. Yeah, massively. Yeah. <laughs> 
And talk, talking of muster announcements, did you? Another thing I really loved about the script was the way that the um, the announcements at first were all quite tongue in cheek and ironic. You know, there's mayhem and there's lasers, and the announcement is saying there is a temporary infraction. Please yeah. calmly make your way, <laughs> avoiding the lethal killing monsters. And to to the uh, please do not go into the steam room <laughs> as they're going into the steam room. And at first that was played played for sort of for sinister laughs, and that worked really well. But then later on, a couple of minutes. Well, a couple of scenes later, um, when they're in the buggy and they're really all in in, in the shit, the, the the voice the announcement starts saying, um, "Do not leave, you may die." No, actually, leave, run for your life. And so this thing that has previously been being played for laughs and played played against the situation is, is suddenly snaps into being really earnest about it. And that was just another nice way of, of ranking up the tension, mm-hmm. which I wasn't sure how. The, I mean, ten minutes in. I wrote this down in my notes watching it. Ten minutes in, we've already got the monsters have broken in and are going mayhem and have killed half the other guests already. And that's usually what happens halfway through episode four of a Doctor Who four-parter. Um, and I was just thinking, where has this got left to go? Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and off it went. And it, it, it was immediately zooming off into, into, another, um, into a whole other, other set of peril. Because Peril was love- somewhat lacking last year. Mm-hmm. It was last year was a lot more content. I still think if they, if they, if Rose's bus had been about to explode or plummet into a space time crevice, it would have added a little bit to that episode uh, beyond just making sure she gets that particular bus. Um, and uh, and so having stuff just really going haywire and, and just constant. Con- upping the mayhem every 10 or 15 minutes throughout the episode uh, was exactly what, what I needed to, to keep my uh, keep my attention. Yeah, I, I have to say, I also like the, uh, the, the, the holiday, you know, Doctor Who doing a holiday going wrong. It is a real Doctor Who-y thing, for, you know, Macro Terror, and the million leisure hive, par- the, the Paradise Towers oh, thing oh, really reminded oh. me when they first when they first arrived and they're like, oh, isn't it lovely? And it's clearly blowing a gale. And I just think that's so <laughs> sweet. And that's also why you love this program because they're all going, "Oh, isn't it lovely?" And you're like, "You poor bastards!" It was a windy day, and you, I, I just love them even more for it. And, and like any holiday, you've kind of got to do a bit of the work to make it good. You have to kind of be in that. I just, I, I just, I just love that. I did, I did notice though. However, they, um, I read that they went out to scope. Uh, I think it's Tenerife um, in January, and then again in February. And we're like, "Oh, this is fantastic!" They all came back to film in in April with their shorts and t-shirts, and it was mist, raining, cold. They the, the first day shoot was eight hours late because of the weather, and I'm like, "Oh!" And I love that. That is. It's, it's like Mel being in the Paradise Towers going, come into this cool water. And they haven't, you know, come into this lovely warm water and they haven't been into the pool at all. I yeah. love um, it. It's a bit like a, if you ever, I don't watch Casualty, but I usually turn it off. But I remember vividly once it was in November the 5th episode of Casualty. At the oh, beginning, all the kids are there, Barclays having a great time. And I flicked over <laughs> half an hour later and everyone's running around screaming with their hair on fire. And it's like, <laughs> you know, Doctor Who, oh, let's have a nice holiday. And then half an hour later, they're running down corridors, literally being chased by people <laughs> going, oh, perfect. I mean, what, if you want more from Doctor Who, I don't know. I don't know what your problem is. I suppose the gunfight is the first instance of that, isn't it? A holiday for the Doctor, which yeah, is both yeah. a fantastic pun, and also, um, you know, he's just there trying to get a bit of dental treatment, and and uh, it all goes haywire. 
Yeah, and I thought also, the, the first use of the word Mar- can I just as a Midlander, I need to say first use of the word Mardi in, in Doctor Who again, right back at the beginning. But um, Yaz tells the Doctor she's being Mardi. I didn't know that went as far north as Sheffield, but that's very much a uh, a Midlands word for being uh, stroppy. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, I, I grew up in Nottingham, and that it was a really commonly used word. But um, yeah, I, I never hear it up as far as I live now in Cumbria. Mm. But yeah, I thought that as well. That that really reminded me of being a kid. And again, and it is a little glimpse of there is something going on now. The Doctor is, and and, and as soon as they get to the holiday place, the Doctor is is literally separated. from All her friends go rushing off and she goes, oh, I'll um, I'll explore on my own, shall I? Uh, And and again, that's a break from last year where if they split up, it was because they had a plan. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't want to fall into the cliche of anyone getting captured. But this year... That they're, they're putting a little something between the Doctor and the others, which I think is, which I really hope is going to reap dividends. And three episodes in, they've definitely touched on it in each of those three episodes. So that that's a good sign that there's going to be. A, and, and and at the end, um, yeah, there's there's tension, but we'll come to that when we get to the end. I'm jumping all over yeah. the place. Yeah, I think what you mentioned about the way they they keep cranking up the tension after, after you've had the the monster attack really early on. The um, the oxygen devices that they have on their wrists, the way they they change colour throughout the the mission, um, work really really well. Because I think last year there was there was stuff like the uh, in the Battle of Ranscore of Colos. Um, <laughs> you had those were they inhibitors or something like that to um, that they had on their their temples. Um, and at one point they had to take them off, but there was no effect to that. So it was a, it seemed like a wasted opportunity to, to crank up a bit of tension. Um, and, and there's kind of a few kind of dead ends like that, like in the, um, the ghost monument, they all get implanted with, uh, like universal translator type things. Um, but again, that never comes to anything. It's the sort of thing, especially probably coming out of the Moffat era, you would expect to have some kind of payoff later on. Uh, like for them to think the TARDIS was there, but it wasn't because they could they could translate or something like that. So it's good to see the the devices, I suppose, uh, introduced, used very effectively because you, you kind of noticed when they were green and then they were amber and then they were red. Um, so it was all all just building towards yeah, uh, yeah. you know something there. Sorry, I've got to chip in here with my with my love for Series Eleven. I think well, far from perfect. Show me a season, Doctor Who, that isn't. Um, that that is rather. Um, I I I think it seems that eleven had a lot to do, and I, but I think the main thing it had to do was just open the doors, open the windows, clear out all the um, uh, politely uh, clear out all the. What Pete help me? What's the word? Think of a polite way for shit. What's the polite? Way um, for shit? Um, um, the um, uh, sense of the leaden sense of. Um, Overweighed down in complexity, which actually is in fulfilling. Anyway, yeah, that. Yeah, you had to clear out the clutter, and I think yeah. it's very, very a lot of breathing room in it, a lot of space, a lot of light, and I really, really sort of love the idea that in series eleven they, they broadly just swept everything away, no old monsters really, and I kind mm. of like that. They may, they, of course, it's an experimental season; they're going to get stuff wrong, but I really yeah, love the fact they did that, and, it, and what I think it's done, it's bought them and earned them the right to now build in some stuff that we're seeing in this series, like a bit of tension, some old monsters. So I, I think, I don't know, I feel like this whole era is really fascinating. I think that as, more, as time goes on, I think when we look at the whole, I think it could be really, really, yeah, I don't know, I think, uh, yeah, I think it could just add up something really coherent. 
Yeah, I think, and I think last season was a lot like um, the, the two most similar to it in terms of what they were trying to do are uh, season seven and season 18, uh, Pertwee's first and Tom Baker's last, where there was a new broom, com- like, just like you say, and, and it was complete, let's stop doing all that stuff we were doing before. Um, oh, maybe season seven had a bit, because it was like, let's do the invasion all the time. But, um, but still, it was like, let's really change what Doctor Who means. And, be, and, and it's quite abrupt for people who've been watching it along, uh, who expect it to be the same as it was last year. Even though, obviously, Capaldi last year was a, a mini-reboot in its own sense, and we got Bell and Nardole, and it was notably very different to the previous Moffat years. Still, yeah. it was Moffat-y. And, and uh, yeah, have, uh, having having done a series where you really clear the decks and say, actually, we can, we can just do this. We don't have to do all that. Now, yeah, just like I said, they've got a lot more space to, uh, to, to, to try and forge their own style in. I think the rewards for that patience and that, or for those, those of those of uh, Doctor Who fans that have been patient and gone, okay, this isn't all working, but see what you're trying to do. I think that patience is really paying off now because I'm loving, you know, these stories are more full-blooded now. Even this is a, it's... Um, I, I rewatched it. I uh, watched it a second time, especially after I read on, online stuff, thinking, okay, maybe I've missed something. Let's really concentrate here. And I, I watched it again, and I felt exactly the same as I did when I first watched it. Like it was absorbing, exciting, straightforward, sort of monster of the week. Doctor Go- Doctor Who goes on holiday, it goes wrong. I love the straightforwardness of it, but it's so full blooded. It, like you said, with the peril and the stakes, and it didn't let up. They just kept adding, adding, adding stakes, which good action adventures like Jurassic Park you know once you've had that huge T-Rex scene which is incredible the next thing is the Jeep's stuck in a tree and they've got to try and you know they just keep adding these love there's peril and I, yeah. I I really I really I think it was this one was fantastic it's the straightforwardness of it was just a joy and I loved this and I think Jodie in this episode, was playing the the version of her Doctor that I absolutely like the most because she was really, um, really active. And um, there's a fantastic one little shot. It's over. It's gone in a flash because it's in the middle of an action sequence when they're in the van and uh, and she grabs and and they're being attacked by the things and some and and the the fairy says we've got to get out and she just grabs something and goes smash into the ground in, into a glass thing in the middle oh, so they can all yeah. get out. And it's just, wow, that's the Doctor. The Doctor has just grabbed a thing and done a thing, and they're going through. And several times in the episode, she, um, she, she, she picks up things that someone has said, and, and she does the thing, which she, she does really well, of, of repeating it, and she's babbling a bit, and, uh, and I can be a, I'm, I'm considerably a babbler myself, I know, and uh, I'm, I'm doing it now. And she, um, but she does it, and she's really focused about it. And she, does, she says, right, and the final thing is this, and then she goes, but also this, and then she goes, oh, but also this. And that's really, jo- really 13th Doctor-ish. And... Almost all of it. There's a couple of bits where, where it doesn't, but, but but and that's done quite cheekily and, and quite knowingly and, and, and endearingly. But, but but most of the time, she's responding to things that people have told her and that she, the doctor, the scientist, is thinking about and coming to a conclusion based upon the evidence she's been given, which I do like more than uh, when she just knows stuff. And, and there's a bit of that too. And obviously, you've only got one episode to tell a story, and so the doctor can just reveal information that the doctor knows. But I always like it most when the doctor is told a couple of things and then goes, ah, well, that means this. 
Yeah, and I love, yeah, I totally agree with you. I love the directness because she can be quite, you know, rolling on with all these thoughts. She is really, I think, I love the moments where she just calls somebody to hold someone to account. She would literally point at somebody and she did it twice in this story. She just went, this is your responsibility. You made people come here, you sort it out. I love that. I love the bit when she first met Ryan's dad last season and she just went, you didn't come to Ryan's funeral. And it's, and sorry, Ryan's uh, mum's funeral. And that's like, I don't, that's so fantastic. I love in this episode, she had some fantastic lines. I love the, um, <laughs> I'm the doctor and you, madam, are far too handsy. I just, <laughs> that was, that was cool. she's like, if Perwi had ever been groped by a lady, that is precisely what he would have said. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> also, I really loved it. If I had crowns and half a can of spam, I could build you. I mean, yeah. bam, 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 lovely. And she delivers stuff like, like no one else. But the beauty, I think, is that this really comes out of this flat team structure which is really paying off now because she can just go off on her own like you said and have a bit of an explore but she's really uh, as a character and also as an actor she's really sharing this she's letting everyone kind of shine and do their things as well she's very much one of part of four she's not hi I'm the star I'm here now um, she will step up when she needs to she does it beautifully and economically um, and by all accounts this is what she's doing on set as well the things that are starting to come through now is that I think Sasha Dewan said, like, the, um, I was always welcome, you know, when people will say that, but he said, literally, her trailer door is open and people can just wander in and out, and that's whether you're a makeup person, whether you're and that is paying off in terms mm. of the character and the whole production. I think this is a, it's beautiful what's happening with Doctor Who now. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things of, uh, that, that's working better in, in this series and the previous series is, is like you say, splitting up the, um, the main characters more. Um, there's a few stories in there, like the um, uh, uh, Arachnids in the UK, where you've got the four main characters plus the um, you know, Yassi's mum and the peripheral characters all walking around in a huge group. But it seems to be something that they've, they've learned from, and, and they are better at getting the separate storylines and, and, and different scenes now. So, um, and especially Ryan, when they they've teamed up with different people, um, and the way that he does the the, the comedy is absolutely fantastic. Um, where when he's uh, the doctor gives a throwaway line about oh the bats are, are hallucinations, and then the camera follows her as she walks away, and in the background Ryan is he's, he's um, batting away these uh, these imaginary bats. It's brilliant. It's like the um, in the Arachnids in the UK when he was doing those shadow puppets in the background. Um, he's great just to watch what he's doing like that when the camera isn't necessarily focused on him. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. it's, it's it, yeah, no, I'm just going, yeah, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I've got to say, Toasting Cole, I've, he is the one to watch in my, in, like, Bradley Walsh, you know you're going to get a bang-on performance. He's someone a bit like, uh, like Bonnie Langford or someone like that, who's just a like, consummate pro, who knows his way around every bit of showbiz, he knows how to get a laugh, he knows how to pin things, like, he's, 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 he's an all-rounder, and you would expect him to be good, although it, you know, he's, I think he's exceeding uh, expectations as Graham. Um, but Toasting Cole is fascinating. I think, I've said, said this online, I was like, I think he is the most actually realistic person, uh, uh, as in a realistically acting human, that we've seen since Jacqueline Hill. I think, mo- I love my companions, and especially my classic companions, but realistically, if most of them got onto a bus and started talking and acting like that, they would probably be sectioned. Um, whereas <laughs> Toasting Cole is 
in, through his performance and his generosity and his subtlety, he's, uh, he's kind of asking the question, what if an actually real person got aboard the TARDIS? Not someone with an arc, not someone with a yeah. love backstories and secrets. What if an actually real person who's fairly softly spoken, he's fairly, he can be a bit goofy. I remember he's like, you're talking about that and that wonderful minute with the hopper virus with him goofing around in the background. Mm. The um, His call of duty moment in, uh, in Ghost Monument when he says first chance to pick up a laser gun and he thinks he's in a computer game and my nephew who was like six just thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever seen running running, running, sort of running out all guns blazing and then running back in screaming like he's, <laughs> he left, but he he picks those moments so rarely um, you know just occasionally he'll pick his moments and um, and the moment to show incredible steel I, 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 there's nothing less fashionable than what's just gone and I watched Resolution and his performance, when he faced off with his dad, the steel and anger on mm. his face, he, he, he didn't show it all season. He saved it for that one little moment and hasn't shown it since. Toasting Cole is, is the man. I think he's one of the best Doctor Who companions we've ever seen. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, I mean, nothing. None of what you said can can, can be refuted. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. uh, really doing, and particularly when the writing gives him someone to pair off with who's not part of his family. The the, the um, in the TARDIS, like like uh, Edheim did last time with the girl in um, in Takes You Away. I really liked in that the way that Ryan was at first. He tried too hard and he tried to drag her, and he was like, "No, do this," and, and he, he didn't know that he needed to be soft with her. And she told him that, and then he did, and, and and you saw him grow in that story. And I think that story was originally written to be quite a lot earlier in the series, which would have made, which which would have been, and, and I can see why they were doing that because that was that was quite a re- revealing thing about him. And and in a way, the sooner we'd seen that, the better. Uh, and and in and in this, now that he's he, he tries his disastrous attempt at flirting with with uh, with Bella, yeah. uh, but then. Um, to his bemusement, it actually seems to be working. Uh, he, he plays that so so perfectly. There's a great bit where he um, he realizes he's said something stupid, and he, and he just turns away. And, and as an aside to himself, you can see him sort of rolling his eyes at himself in, when they're in the in the jeep, and uh, and that's like less than one second. And, and he just puts a little eye roll, self eye roll at himself, in it, and and it works really well. Yeah, previously, almost, I think whenever Ryan's ended up paired up with a with a guest character, in much the same way that Ace used to be, that that um, that that friend of the week that Ace had, like Sue Lin or, or the girls in Ghost of Fenric or the girl in Ghostlight, and with him it's been various people, but they've always, until now, turned out to be basically goodies. But in this, he's paired up with that with that girl, and she seems to like him, and he really likes her, and then he discovers that she's actually a maniac who's trying to kill everyone, and he's got to try and like with the bombs steer it in a, um, in a in a way that's not going to result in in, uh, in in her successfully killing everyone and, and and there's that moment where you can see it on his face like oh shit she is actually trying to kill everyone uh, and, uh, and and he has to try and handle it I felt like yeah. that character Bella wasn't a million miles away from Ace was she she had the the issue with her mum and the name that her mum had given her the the sort of passion oh, yeah. for explosives and, and and blowing things up I uh, got a real yeah. Ace vibe off her actually watching it uh, no, I hadn't digested it, but now you say that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely there, isn't it? Yeah. I've got, I've got to just go back. Sorry, Pete, that moment just then you were talking about uh, Ryan's awkwardness. I, like, he does it, he plays it mm. so well that when Yaz comes in with her perfect, I, I 
when Yaz comes in with the perfectly, when the doctor comes in and says, sorry, um, oh, what are you guys talking about? And he's like, oh, and then Yaz just leans forward and goes, yeah, Ryan, what are you talking about? I mean, that <laughs> is <laughs> musically, musically, that is perfect. My, my, my other half ran a school for, um, you know, all kinds of kids, and he just burst out laughing because pitch perfect. That's exactly how kids, this sort of slightly sibling friend thing, yeah, right, this amazing thing. But she, yeah, what she, 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 she delivers it perfectly. But he, in order to get there, you would have to have had the setup. It's, yeah. you, he set up, has set it up, she knocked it down. Beautiful. Yeah, and is, is she the jealous, bossy big sister who doesn't like the little brother getting more limelight than her? Says Pete, younger brother of an elder sister. Or, <laughs> is, or does she just fancy him, which is kind of less interesting dramatically? But, but, it could, but, it, but the point is, we don't know, and, and we, the viewers, uh, could, could take it either way. Uh, after, after, because of the thing in Spyfall about him fancying her sister, and that was like, is he just saying that to try and make her jealous? Yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah it's, it's just that it's, it's really just really deftly handled. Yeah. So, what do you think of the other guest characters? Um, the the character of Kane is one of those things. I couldn't place her for the whole episode, so I had to look over afterwards. Um, so I guess if anyone's watched Breaking Bad, she's Lydia from Breaking Bad. And I think it's when someone's got a totally different accent like that as well, it's much harder to place them. Oh, um, my God. So presumably she's American in Breaking Bad, right? I yeah. haven't seen it. Right. No, I no, she was really Scottish. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I kind of knew the face, and it was I was, I was running through loads of things. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, and also in the spin-off prequel series, Better Call Saul, I think she's in that as well. But yeah, no idea she was Scottish. I don't think I've um, seen her in any of the British TV before that I can think of. Right, I, 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 a bit of a self-parody in that I know that I tend to relate everything in Doctor Who and, to be frank, most things in life to Beryl Reed. But when she, as soon as she appeared, I was thinking, is she Beryl Reed? <laughs> I the commander of the base that's under siege, which is a role that goes right back to General Custer in the 10th planet, and, and Eric Hayward just did his own version of it, and they made Beryl Reed do it, and to everyone's surprise, it was perfect. But um, Or is she Commander Scott, if, if we're talking Earthshock? And of course, the, the result is she's both, but she's also... She's the bad. She's also the baddie. She's the person whose bad decisions and attempts to just make a quick buck by landing on this by by terraforming. Oh, I love the irony of of um, the the of first the doctors appalled that they're terraforming this planet. Like mm -hmm. oh, bloody humans going out there turning everything <laughs> they find into a replica of Earth, and then she discovers that it actually is Earth, um, and that's that's not at all. Um, accidental. That, that, that's just really nicely delivered to us uh, as, as an ironic twist that we probably were. Were you expecting it? Did, 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 how did you feel about the, the revelation that it was uh, kind of setting aside that the railway station bit is a motif we're familiar with? When it happened, I was really uh, surprised by it because th there was no need for it to be that. And so it came as a real uh, left field surprise to me. Yeah, me too, yeah. And then I thought they were going to go for a sort of I Am Legend, uh, as in the book of I Am Legend, twist, where they weren't monsters at all, um, and, and they just looked like monsters, and, you know, basically just trying to go about their lives, but, but were being killed by the non-mutated humans. Uh, yeah, it was, almost a, it was almost a twist that they did just turn out to be evil man-eating creatures, wasn't it? Because it was kind of setting it up. And, and particularly in, in this era of Doctor Who, we, we're used to Jodie telling us that all life is wonderful and everything's going to be lovely. So when she says, run, yeah. um, 
you really think no but wait like graham is really shocked when um uh, uh kane says that she turns to vilma and just said oh i killed him and I know some people have taken that as well. Why, why is Graham shocked? She said she was going to kill him, but it's the fact that she just turned to to, to his fiance and said, "Oh yeah, I've killed him," was was shockingly blunt. But also for Graham, as someone who's used to travelling with Jodie Whittaker and having fairly lovely adventures, where she explains to everyone what the moral rights and wrongs of the situation are, uh, to just have someone being disemboweled outside the spaceship, outside the the, the jeep, is is really. Um, much darker and, and more horrific than, than they're used to. Maybe only since uh, the first episode, Woman Who Fell to Earth was horrific like that with old Toothy McToothface. When is the wedding, Conrad? I know, I know he favourited one of your tweets and you've never shut up about it ever since. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the day, any minute now. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll save the day when it's available. Fine. But yeah, I thought they were really effective monsters as well, the design of them, and then the way they shot them early on, and you just got fleeting glimpses, and you just saw the, the fangs and, the, and part of the eyes and things like that. That's the way to shoot them, uh, and scare kids, isn't it? Really well done. Absolutely. I'm basically in Doctor Who for the monsters. I've got, I can put it out there. I think it's because um, when I, because I'm very, very old, the first I just look back, and the first season I watched, or the first row of stories I had, were uh, you know, involved a giant robot, Wirren, Sontarans, Daleks, Cybermen, and Zygons. So to me, in my head, there's got to be a proper monster, um, even if it's an invisible one, like or the one we can't see at midnight. Like I am all about the monster, and I know Pete, you like um, it takes you away with your absolute favourite last season. I really liked it, but I think, and there was supposed to be a monster in it. I missed a monster, so I'm always looking for one. So when I heard there were um, proper scary monsters in this one, I was really excited about it and I, I, I love them I think they're great um, they, they they did remind me of uh, I think they, they remind me of the Hoiks is it the Hoiks from uh, Love and Monsters that, which mm. I love that monster I think it's fantastic um, it looked a little bit like that someone said oh, my name oh from, from the Scooby-Doo bit from the Scooby-Doo bit yeah, right. I hated that I absolutely hated that but I loved this <laughs> did you hate the but do you hate hate the actual monster itself no no it was the backwards and forwards it was the oh, yeah, no, no, that's this is a spoof of Doctor Who without the laugh this is a spoof without a laugh track why are you doing this I don't know subsequently I've come to see its merits but at the time I didn't like it yeah Fair play. Now, I was thinking about the design of the Hoyks I actually loved. And then it had a similar, it was a bit Sycorax-y. Someone said it was a bit like the Weevils from Torchwood. I wasn't a huge Torchwood person, but I, I kind of gathered that. But, no. but I also noticed, Mark, what you were saying about how they were shot, like really sparingly, doing that aliens thing, dripping fangs, a claw, you know, scraping along a wall. Um, but I noticed when they were outside in that fantastic location, they seemed to almost sometimes be shot at a slightly different frame rate. So they just seemed slightly odd. You know, the way they, when you first saw them in full length, they had us sort of crouching in the desert and, and standing up. They, some, something about the way they shot it, and I don't even want to know how they did it, was just glorious. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. The, the way they the, the way they were shot, because it's, it's that thing that sometimes in the uh, 20th century series would let monsters down when you had a, a really cool looking design, like, say, the Marshmen. But then the the actors inside them would just do the slowest lumbering kind of like <laughs> universal Frankenstein walk, wouldn't they, with their arms out? 
Um, but yeah, shooting them like that so that they're they're fast and unpredictable. That's that's the way to make them scary, isn't it? Yeah, they were great. They sounded great, and, and, yeah. and even, I mean, come. On. Well, as I said, they're, they're hemovore cousins. Uh, basically, look like moomins compared to this lot. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we talk, you know, yes, okay, we've had this is the future evolution some of, of humanity, our ultimate evolutionary destiny. Before, if we make mistakes, but that evolution is a constant process of branching over millions and billions of years happening millions and billions of times so uh, it didn't bother me in the slightest that we've had someone that we've seen man's ultimate destiny before any more than it might bother me that we've seen a base under siege before or, or that we've seen an evil since the dawn of time before that's like come on that's his hardcore doctor who dna of course it's gonna you're gonna have a really good go at this every few years yeah. i suppose totally. the big complaint that i you know, we've probably all seen on Twitter is they felt that the ending was was too sort of preachy or too on the nose or whatever. Um, but for me, in the context of what the characters have just been through, you know, it's not like they're in, um, you know, Yaz's mum's house and they're talking about recycling and the doctor's going, well, you almost change your ways and you must do this. You know, they've just been through this horrific adventure where they've seen these awful murderous monsters. Uh, they've seen tons of people die, the earth, an absolute toxic wasteland that you can't even breathe. Um, yeah. So I think in that context, the, what the Doctor delivers is um, is absolutely in line with the the rest of the episode for me anyway. Yeah, totally. yeah. I, I, I I I don't like being I I don't like generally when a when a Doctor Who character starts doing a, a monologue um, as they always do now when they regenerate. I, it always just makes me think of Mrs. Overall doing uh, her speech as she chokes on a macaroon, uh, which has never been bettered. Uh, but. But um, but in this instance, it was it was just built up to and built up to, and and then it felt I don't know if Chris Chibnall actually wrote that end bit or if he asked. Uh, so I've seen someone speculate that because it felt much more Chibnally, but maybe not. Maybe that is it is just a, 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 the, the writer knowing that that's that is the tone of this series, and that's um and that's what's wanted. But the, yeah, the, the, immediately before it, like you said, we had that moment where they're all just. They're pretty much traumatized by everything they've just been through, uh, and, and so she's trying to turn it into something, uh, something real and meaningful for them, so that they won't just think that she's a bit of a bastard for introducing them to this world where horrible things happen to nice people. Teacher, yeah, I, I, I could have, I have to say strongly agree. Like, I think, yeah, the message at the end is like, you know, sort your act out, or rah, big monster, which made me laugh. And I really enjoyed the big shot with the monster. I think it's hilarious. Like, tell, send kids to bed with nightmares, going, if you don't do recycling, a monster will get you. Fantastic. And um, also, if you don't want that, if that wasn't your bag, then a little while later, they said, you know, we're arguing about the washing up with their buildings on fire. If that isn't literally what we're all doing on Twitter, I'd like to know what it is. Um, and, and you know what? If that's not enough for you, just go back on the bus where she says there's nearly always a ruling class who evacuates and then signs off all responsibility to the people they leave behind. Take your pick. There's layers there. Just listen. To, most people just went, yeah, this is too obvious because they think they're clever because they spotted something that's on the nose, missing completely all the layers that are underneath that. And if you thought that was too on the nose, then you're not clever enough. Oh, I'm coming for you today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's aimed at the children as well. And I like the way you had the generations in here. So you had Kane and Bella um, and then the mechanic character, I forgot his name, and his son was, was Silas, I think. Oh, we haven't talked about them yet, and they were really, I really liked them. Yeah, but it's the kids who were fixing the mistakes of their parents. 
yes. in one way or another yes. as well, which kind of really spoke to that, um, you know, the way that the, the younger generation, the Extinction Rebellion, anything like that, are the ones who are trying to take the action. It's a thematic yeah. motif. That's what that is. Yeah, it's a, it's a deceptively clever story. There's so much. There's just so much in here. Um, yeah. It, but it, it manages to be completely straightforward while still being rich and full-blooded. And, I mean, no complaints apart from the makeup. Um, no, I, I think I think it's absolutely going to be one of the ones that I mean we only had three episodes this year, but I, to me it just gives me all the vibes that you get from watching something like Kinder, which was is very different. Don't get me wrong, stylistically completely different. But I remember putting Kinder last in my season survey. Of, me too. Of season nineteen because it was never explained what those clocks were and who wound up all those clocks that appeared when when Panna was dying and what was actually in the box. And, and at the time, I just thought you know. A, a, at least Time Flight has has a, a coherent thing in a Concord, um, and then you go back to it and you rewatch it and you, and, you, and it can kind of sink in. And you're like, oh, okay, this this isn't. Although this is this is appearing in the format of a doc, an exciting Doctor Who adventure in which loads of people get killed by monsters. It's also just doing a little thing here, a little thing there, and it all adds up. And then and then a thing comes along at the end, which if it came out of the blue would be clunky, but it's not clunky because it because you it, it's just all been seeded and it's all and, and every little thing is being built upon. And and yeah, the, the thing with um the the in betweeners guy and his son, I could just imagine being a kid and watching that and and thinking that I had realised first that the kid is cleverer than the dad because it, it's mentioned just a little while after it's made apparent. So if you're like eight yeah. and watching that and you've, you've gone, I think that kid's explaining everything. I, I, I think that would have really worked for me as a kid. And, and often when children are in Doctor Who, um, I, I watch it and think, God, if I'd been watching these children when I was eight, I would have hated them and wanted them to get killed. Nightmare in silver. Um, and um, the, to, to have a, a likable child in Doctor Who is actually really difficult. And, and I think that that child was, was really likable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess you didn't like the hair, though, Conrad? <laughs> no, I no, I did not like the hair. I'm sorry, I didn't like the hair. Again, I was like, when I, saw the, when I saw the next time trade last week, I was like, ouch. It just made me go, oh, well, maybe they're in, who knows why they're wearing wigs? Maybe there's a reason. And again, like, if it was, if they're all wearing wigs because it's a fashion, then great. But if that's actually supposed to be their hair, which I think it is, because there's a line in there going, it's as green as our hair, uh, that wig yeah. is unexplainable it's a little bit like what people Mark, you had to, I was having a really nice time and you brought it up again and now it's just, <laughs> I'm just angry again. It's, it's a little bit like what people expect Doctor Who to be like isn't it the, the green hair that's it that, and, and, and <laughs> yes it's a slight, slightly, slightly serious note if I was a casual viewer I switched on in the first few minutes I saw the green hair thing and I saw someone with a, atrocious wig and makeup I'd be like oh this is shit and switch it I mean it's the sort of thing that could make you turn over thinking I'm a bit embarrassed to be watching this I think they would be great as background artists absolutely sorry support uh, what do you call them supporting artists in the background fine that is I mean it's not HD ready that stuff and also um, <laughs> also the, the, the standard of the the set and the cinema I mean again series 11 series 12 best cinematography ever got to some of the best locations best effects yeah. the so high, you cannot drop the ball like that. Yeah, yeah, but no, but, but the drone. I mean, and, and the opposite extreme. The shot where you, the doctor and everyone have got out of the the jeep, and then suddenly they're and they're kind of panicking, and they've got to go back again. Which to also 
until now, you know, Jodie Whittaker has said, I've not, I've not watched any old lot too. I want to come at it with a clean sheet. I just, I think someone has sneaked up on her and accidentally tricked her into watching a really good Troughton episode. Because this week she was just so Troughtonishly good. She got the run, run, run bit. Went, well, when I say run, run, run. And, uh, but, but also she absolutely meant it. She was saying it as if it was the first time that her character had ever thought of the need to yell, run. Um, and uh, when they're out on the, on the black ashen earth and, uh, and and they have to turn around and suddenly start running back but at the same time they know that they're running back to the place that isn't safe enough and there's a drone overhead shot of them yeah so I've been wondering when we're going to start seeing more drone shots in Doctor Who and uh, and it's just a lovely shot of them in this in this black wasteland um scrabbling and you know that the that the monsters are just out of shot which I mean if we could have you know if if that could have been done in Genesis of the Daleks they absolutely, or the Daleks they would have absolutely had an overhead drone shot of them in the petrified forest in the, in, in the Daleks if they could have done it uh, and, it, and it's the kind of the kind of image that is just perfect for, for coming into to who? And with that, with that dome as well, where you get a beautiful shot of the dome, and also when the uh, the truck, the bus comes out of it, when it's surrounded by dregs, like you said, those overhead shots. I mean, it's I can't tell what's whether it's CGI model or what, and I don't care. I love it. I'm just totally sold. I, I think it's. Um, I just love it. Also, though, talk, um, I think I first got excited about the. Uh, uh, the, the cinematography, particularly in, I remember in the Witch Finders, there's an overhead tracking shot over a forest, a misty forest, and it is oh, yeah. sublime. It's this, I think, this era of Doctor Who is something to get really, really, really excited about, and as you can tell, I am. <laughs> <laughs> because until now, I've, last year, I wasn't totally sold. You know, they've gone to making it ultra widescreen, so we have a black border, top and bottom. Uh, yeah. Makes it very cinematic, and whenever the word cinematic is mentioned, I get a little bit because um, actually I think six by four is the perfect shape for television, and it's been downhill ever since it started getting wider. I mean, if you just watch an episode of The Simpsons, you know if it's in widescreen, it's not going to be as funny as the ones that weren't. Uh, and um, so generally, that a narrow, a, a normal screen that isn't ultra widescreen draws me in more because it makes me feel this is comfortable this is cozy this is my series uh, but with shots like that they're absolutely justifying making it going for cinematic and, and then zooming down to the dog you're talking about spam uh, in, in a way that's just uh, that's just a juxtaposition and, and, and all quirky and, and, and really nice talking of camera shots we haven't even mentioned the funniest bit in, in the whole thing, in my opinion, which is when Gra- Graham steps forward and bangs his head on your TV screen, which mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and, and realizes that he's in a dome. But there's a there's that thing like a lot of people have, have theorized about the TARDIS is a television, and and that maybe the Doctor, maybe in a subliminal and, and, and metaf- metaphysical way, the viewer knows that the Doctor knows that that he is actually a character in a TV series because he turns and wishes everyone a happy Christmas one one week, and <laughs> and he and whenever Troughton appears on a monitor, and it's true in the Five Doctors, and it's also true in Seeds of Death. Whenever Patrick Troughton's face appears on a TV screen in Doctor Who, he can see everyone who's watching him even if there isn't a camera there it happens it happens in at least those two times and a couple of other times too uh, and so uh, this sort of awareness that that doctor that, that maybe the character of the doctor knows that they are the star of a tea time bbc tv series primarily aimed at children uh, is just reinforced by little tiny little touches like that like the, the alien bumping into the camera in um uh, end of the world uh which uh, oh, yes. yeah, a little spider, spider robot <laughs> 
Yeah, um, those little moments that make Barbie for a minute. We teased here. They're confident enough to tease us. I like that. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, that was a huge diversionary ramble by me. I did mention that sometimes I uh, <laughs> go off. No, I think we've come up with some some great theories uh, tonight. That's, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yasby and Adric. The, ma- the master's really Adric. Is that the takeaway we get in here? Sasha Dewan is actually playing Adric. I think that's yeah. That's the, that's the t- this, this, and and the reason he was so appalled and destroyed Gallifrey was because he discovered that they had been cheating at Sudoku. And yeah, and I think the time got the end. I think the ending of the season, the doctor's going to put him back in the cockpit that's crashing, and he's trying to fix it, and it blows <laughs> up, and he said, "Oh, I know. he looks at the camera." And says, I, now I'll never know if I was right wing. And it ends. Oh, I think we've got it. We cracked it. That's cracked it. Now I'll never know if I dressed to the right. Oh, no, that was Castrovalva when he was in the uh, sling. <laughs> TARDIS. Um, lowering the tone. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. But lowering the tone further, the dirtiest joke Doctor Who has ever made is the Doctor turning to the, um, to the, to the rabbit fox bear woman and brandishing a very large wiggling creature and going, I've just pulled this out of a friend of mine. Yeah. And her replying, whatever you do at this place, it's non-judgmental. <laughs> you can have whatever fun you want. Brilliant. But that got into Doctor Who. The, di- the dialogue in this whole story is absolutely fantastic. I was very, very, very happy. Thank you, Mark, I hope this is made up for your worst holiday ever, your cruise holiday just come on holiday with us. Nothing will ever go wrong. Yeah. I promise. Absolutely, we'll uh, we'll get some tickets for um, tranquility, tranquility spa. Is it called? I keep Tran- on saying yeah. I keep um, on saying yeah. tranquility base, but that's where Apollo Eleven landed, isn't it? And it's a uh, Centetian album, isn't it? Oh no, that's Fox Base Alpha. <laughs> oh no, that's Moon Base. Alpha. No, that's Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. I need a holiday from this. <laughs> <laughs> And I would just also like to clarify, because listeners who've only heard the podcast and didn't hear our preamble beforehand, uh, when Conrad earlier turned to Mark and said, I imagine all that puppy play is exhausting you, he was actually referring to a literal puppy, not a reference to the ongoing theme that I've been trying to introduce of cosplay and uh, people dressing up as animals. Uh, Mark is, literally has a puppy rather than pretending to be one, because I think some of our listeners might have got the wrong end of the stick, so I just wanted to clarify. Sorry, I wasn't listening. I'm just calling the police. Je téléphone le police. Mark, get us, stop us now. Thank you very much for joining me this evening, guys. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. We have all survived, which is more than can be said for most people on a space holiday. Yeah, they, they got through a lot of extras there, didn't they? I was, you kind of wonder with that when you get those opening shots and there's loads of people in that reception, how are they, they, you know that they're either going to split off the rest of the main characters or they're, all those people are going to die quite soon. Because they don't yeah. really keep that, that number of extras around for long, do they? I, and I find it more, the jeopardy seems higher when it's not a huge number of people, like that Kane said to the Doctor, oh, there's, there's 30 people in here, mm. or 30-something people. And, and that works better for me than if, if it had been a Russell C. Davis script, it would have been 5 billion people or something. And then she would have gone, oh, but 4,999 of them are dead. Whereas if it's, if it's like 
enough people that you could actually imagine in a room and they're being killed one by one. To, to me, that that's scarier. Yeah, or a classroom, I guess, if, you know, the kid's watching it. It's, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a, a number that you're familiar with like that, isn't it? A number of people you can easily picture from school. Yeah, yeah. And, and most children will be able to choose which members of their class they would like to be uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fed to the Fratellis or the Kasabians. What are they called again? Uh, those, those, those dudes, anyway. The dregs, uh, first. yeah, which I guess in hindsight is the dregs of humanity, isn't it? This is the clue that is to who they are. I just just got there. It is. Oh my god! <laughs> that just clicked right now. That's uh, that's probably been really right. obvious to most people. Yeah. So, where can our listeners find you online? <laughs> How can they avoid us? I think is what you're saying. Well, I, I am prof underscore quite a mess. And you can mute and block me um, at hair of the hound underscore. You can find me as at quarkmcmalice underscore and you can follow the podcast at... No, sorry, there's no underscore on that. Let me do that again. And you can find me as at quarkmcmalice and you can follow the podcast as at trap1 underscore. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.